Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Dr. Moto. Good morning. He is on panel. He is not speaking. He is concentrating on the tech, but he is here in person and soul. <laughs> <laughs> and good morning, Miss Perineum. Good morning. It's oh. nice to be back in the studio. First time this year. Oh, I know. And you know what, um, listeners, what you don't realise is that when Miss Perineum and I were, and we were in the studio last, in November last year, Perineum mm. could barely reach the microphone, right? I had a very big stomach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was and having to sit a bit far away from the desk. I know. And, and suddenly, I cannot, honestly, I am awe-inspired. Here we are. <laughs> you've had a baby. Yeah. You've had the, you've, you, the baby's out and yep. you're back in Triple R. Yeah. Can't leave Triple R. It'd oh, be no. too much fun. I oh, know. It's amazing. <laughs> but, and even more so, she didn't bring the baby, so. Yeah, well, I figured, you know, the little one might be screaming a bit. She's yeah. not got her microphone etiquette quite right. Yeah, we're, work, we're working we're work on, on that. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, absolutely great and welcome. And today we've got a very exciting show and you are one of our guests, in fact. I am. We're talking yeah. about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart and I think more people need to know about it. So, I'm very excited for today. Yeah, no, and I am too. And this is an interesting topic for a lot of people in our audience, gut brain disorders or maybe it's brain gut other way around but anyway the relationship between the brain and the gut and we have got um one of um miss perineum's long-term colleagues and friends Mm. um psychologist uh dr jim candy candidarkis thank you (laughs) it's a mouth twister (laughs) i practiced it before i went on air but (laughs) oh how embarrassing but anyway uh jim and he is a clinical psychologist, and he, uh, I, I'm absolutely fascinated that we've got a physiotherapist and a psychologist today talking about the gut. I know, and lots of people think that it's just gastroenterologists that mm. can talk and work with these kinds of conditions. And I think it's really interesting to see from an allied health perspective, like an allied health perspective, what we actually do in terms of treating these conditions because they're so prevalent in the community. Exactly, and I mean, it's not like this is something new. Um, I was, no. I was kind of looking this up and doing my research and hypocrisy. He was talking about this 2,000 years ago. Yeah. He apparently claimed that all diseases begin in the gut. Mm. And, you know, 2,000 years later, and we're still kind of exploring this like this is this new kind of revolution in medicine. Um, but sure enough, you know, here we are and we're really starting to revisit it. Um, and the other interesting thing that, you know, we're going to talk today with uh, Jim and Miss Perineum, who's, when she's being interviewed, her name is Phoebe Kippen. So two persons, um, and and I'm sure they're going to talk about the fact that Parkinson's was a whole range of neurological and psychiatric disorders, um, depression, schizophrenia, autism, Parkinson's disease, and MS, and probably among others that mm. they'll tell us about. They have actually been shown to have changes in the composition of the gut microbia. Yep. Um, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, so, yes, something for all of us. Yeah, and I think it's also really interesting to come at it from a different point of view. There's a lot of information at the moment in the news about eating disorders and the fact that we have a really limited sort of amount of supply of um, treatment options for eating disorders in this country. But functional gut disorders are on that spectrum but different. And so knowing that there are differences in those conditions and what we're talking about today is different to eating disorders but fix on that spectrum very yeah. much. So everybody, prepare to be bowled over. Bowled over. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> but first, we should get some news. 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. I'm starting us off today with a really interesting um, study that's come out of the Baker IDI, which is a great institute down here in Melbourne that's associated with the Alfred Hospital. And they did a prospective study that was published at the end of last year, looking at the link between chronic body pain um, in middle-aged adults and older adults um, and their TV viewing time, which I think is really, really interesting. So what they were looking at is the amount of body pain that people experience on a day-to-day basis and the amount of time that they spend watching TV. And it's really interesting with these kinds of studies that normally with um, a cohort like this, you're, it's hard to sort of um, correlate different things because of the confounding variables. But they were able to basically look at the association of how much pain people had um, and the amount of time they spent watching TV and adjust that for whether they were obese, whether they had a sedentary lifestyle. And they also looked at this in relation to type 2 diabetes. And what they found was that people who basically watch TV for more than two and a half hours um, a day had an increase in their body pain over... um, the, the lifespan and they had an increase in their chronicity of pain, right. which is really interesting. So I think if we think about that in terms of our sedentary lifestyle, mm. limiting our exposure to TV time and, and knowing that that can increase, if you have no pain, increase our experience of pain. And if you have some pain that's there, that it's going to increase and impact the chronicity of it is really, really interesting. And there was some correlation for those who had type 2 diabetes that had actually exacerbated that experience as well. So I think it's really interesting to understand that keeping active and away from screens through the lifespan is actually really valuable because the experience of our, you know, anything from normal pain to not... Um, to to like a headache or things like that, limiting our exposure to TV and things like that is going to actually reduce our experience of the pain. It's kind of it's kind of what we're having to learn. That's kind of obvious as well, isn't it? Like know. you know, like it's it's just all a no brainer. But we're having to kind of relearn it as us as our way yeah. of living changes so dramatically. But how many of us, when we're feeling a bit rubbish and we we've got pain or we've got a backache or whatever's going on, our go to is to sit down and rest and isn't just sit it? in front of the TV. And yeah. it, as a physio, for me. I I sort of encourage people to do gentle movement and feel really active and and do the things that they can do. But the go-to is to just plonk yourself down in front of a TV screen. And one of our next guests we're going to have, not today, but is is a physio, another physio, and Mm. his expertise, um, Angelo Ratichandra is his name, and he's a Sykes on Bikes like me and Dr Moto. And he's going to come and talk about his experience as a physio again with managing chronic pain and his absolute message is movement, moving. So good news story. Mm. Um, Mine is on a completely different uh, uh, kind of topic. Back in November last year, in our last show, we talked um, with uh, people who might remember clinical psychologist Claire Finkelstein, and she was talking about her research into how mind-expanding magic mushrooms with psychotherapy could ease body image disturbance with people who've got eating disorders. And... um, also, um, in some of our shows, we've talked about people uh, trials at St Vincent's with using uh, psychedelic substances towards the end of life, and uh, when people are uh, experiencing extreme distress as they face um, end of life. 
And there's been some quite promising results around use of these drugs. So in February, the TGA, which is the Therapeutic uh, Goods Administration, they announced that from July this year, medicines containing uh, psilocybin, which is the psychedelic substance in magic mushrooms, and MDMA, which is otherwise known as ecstasy, can be can be prescribed. Now, this is only by a very specifically authorised psychiatrist, so it, it is a psychiatrist only, and the psychiatrist has to get a special permission to do so. Mm. And it's for at this stage, it's for the treatment of certain mental health conditions, which is specifically um, MDMA or ecstasy for. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. Mm. So it's super, super early days, but these are the two areas where they know that some evidence that it, you know there may mm. be some effect, and really it's as a last-case measure when all else fails. Um, but I guess it just shows the, the, the progression of medicine and the benefit of these trials over a long period of time to perhaps change the way that we can treat things that are really, really difficult to treat. Yeah, and I think there's lots of people in the community who've been self-medicating for a very long time mm. with some of these things. So it's really great for the TGA to now recognise that and know that they can be monitored and regulated better under the guidance of healthcare professionals if they're in the right situation and that the drug is not the issue itself but how it's how it's used that's and, exactly and, right. and that's really great yeah that's exactly right and in, in these in the trials that have led to this and in the use of these drugs it will always be it's not like you can go and see a psychiatrist and get prescribed your party pills <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know it'll be within a very controlled uh, environment with psychotherapy attached and yeah. so on and also um, the drugs can still be used within clinical trials as well as mm. is continuing to, to to explore with other illnesses. Yeah, it's really good to see us moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So that's my little news story there. The other big little little news that Dr. Moto is so focused on this panel that I'm going to go solo, I think, on this. But <laughs> him and I are going off with Sykes on Bikes uh, next Friday to Tasmania. Oof. Yeah, so we are there for uh, 10 days. Um, we've talked about our rides in the past where we've been around um, Outback Australia, going to cattle stations and stopping into rural and regional communities. And we're doing the same in Tassie over the next week so very fun yeah sounds like a really good trip it is going to be fantastic so we've got uh maybe 10 stops where we uh we get off the motorbikes we put up some banners and put up a marquee and we do health checks Mm -hmm. checking for uh blood pressure blood sugar um bmi um and yes. then we then then the it's kind of a nice gentle introduction to people then go and have a chat with Dr. Moto or one of the psychiatrists or psychologists and just really see how they're traveling and how they're what a great going. way to reach the community, particularly after COVID, being able to actually get out there and, and see people face to face. That's such a wonderful initiative. Oh, it is. And we've been so, like the, the, the team we're working with down there, which is raw, which is rural, alive and well in Tasmania. They've been so fantastic in helping to organise for us and promote it. And we're showing our um, documentary that we had made last year. So that's being shown in Hewanville. And yeah, all good. Very fun. Yeah. Love yeah. it. So. I can't wait, Susan. Yeah. Really excited. And it's good for our mental health as well, isn't it, Dr. Moto? Absolutely. Yeah. Probably more for us than for the people <laughs> we're going to try to help. We'll leave that one out of it. Yeah. Okay. Great. On our way. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Let's introduce our first guest. 
So, Jim, welcome to the show, to Triple R. He is the founder and he's the director um, and is of, of what was known as the... Gosh, I'm being tardy today, aren't I? Yeah, so he, Jim is the... Um the head of the gut centre down here in Melbourne and also they've got um, practices, clinical sites up in Sydney and also up into the uh, up into where Jim is at the moment, which is in beautiful, sunny, sunny world. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they're clinical sites and they focus on functional gut disorders, which is a group of, con- of disorders that relates to um, clinical symptoms that are not um, based solely in pathology. So when we see a psychologist for these kinds of conditions, most of the time they've been to a gastroenterologist, the gastro's ruled out that there isn't a um, classical pathological reason reason for something um, and instead there is a link, we think, between the gut and how those symptoms are presenting. Now, these symptoms can be anything from bloating, gas, pain, you name it. And often they've got a strong link between the um, the, psych- the psychological component um, and, and what is going on in that person's body. So Jim is going to talk to us a little bit about how we treat the person to treat the experience of those symptoms. So welcome, Jim, if you can hopefully hear us. I can, thank yes. you. Beautiful. I'm enjoying you today. Excellent. So, Jim, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> um, I guess um, I used to be a radiographer many years ago um, before I got into psychology. So I had that background in um, sort of, you know, in terms of anatomy and physiology and pathology. And I saw a lot of people suffering from chronic illness and um, and the lack of support that they, they were receiving. And so I um, went on to become actually a cook after that, a macrobiotic chef, believe it or not, that deals with sort of a whole food diet. Um, and and again, a lot of people were using this as a, as a way of managing their chronic illness. And, and so I had an interest in psychology and I got into that because my interest was really in, in mind, body or brain body. And so that's how it all began for me. And then I um, went back to do my doctoral uh, degree and uh, got into my research was around inflammatory bowel disease. And then that opened up the door to what we call now, you know, functional gut disorders or disorders of gut brain interaction. Because the, the, the interesting thing was, you know, for me, I had big, this big interest in, in brain body or mind body. And, you know, the, the gut and brain have such a strong link. So it sort of fell into the area that I'm, I was always passionate about and uh, it's just taken off from there. Jim, I would have said that was a very gutsy move. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of changes in there, but um, <laughs> but it's interesting. One fed onto the other. So found for, for where I'm supposed to be is really, yeah, so it's great. So I, I guess, you know, I, I want to kind of launch with just the layman's kind of things that we always say all the time and tell us about what these things mean. Like we always say, I've got a gut feeling about something or that was really gutsy or, you know, we, we, we always, we, we very intuitively relate things to our gut. So what does that mean? Well, I think that comes down to a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, I think there was a study I saw a few years ago now where um, it's almost like the the gut cells have uh, an intuitive um, neurological component. So that might be about the whole intuition aspect of it. But, I mean, it's not surprising that, you know, we relate a lot of our gut, you know, a lot of emotions around gut feelings like, you know, that was gut-wrenching, butterflies in my stomach, Mm. uh, 
you know, you give me the S, mm. um, as people might yeah. say when they get frustrated so or, or angry, because the gut and the nervous system through the, so the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system are so strongly linked. And the gut and, and the nerves associated with the gut are strongly linked to the emotional parts of our brain. So, hence, that's why we tend to use those collaboratively. Yeah, and Tim, tell our um, listeners a little bit about the sort of tenets of what you use in your clinical practice as to how to treat these kinds of conditions. Sure. So, I mean, what we tend to do is, I mean, you know, everything I'm basically mentioning now is what we consider to be, you know, evidence-based, mm. and that means it's validated in research, um, randomised control trials, et cetera, et cetera. So we use, um, you know, evidence-based psychological strategies, and they will include things like CBT and gut-directed hypnotherapy. Um, and we use those for two reasons. One is to reduce the symptom severity by reducing the sensitivity of the gut, and I can talk a bit more about those, mm. but also to reduce the psychological distress associated with those symptoms because what when you stress about the symptoms, you're actually adding to the sensitivity and the problem. Absolutely. And it, I think people don't realise the amount of impact these kinds of conditions can have on someone's like quality of life. If you think about just... I'd like everyone at home to just have that moment where you've been stuck in an elevator and you really have to fart because we've all been there, right? And mm-hmm. the, the emotional distress that you have with that moment of not wanting to embarrass yourself or not wanting it to let it slip out, well, mm-hmm. for lots of people, control of that is not an option. Having to go through that day after day as something that you're aware of that is an issue for you or if you've got pain associated with that or bloating, it really impacts how you live your life and what you do yep. on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. these are yep. these are conditions that really impact how people live. Doesn't it just – and, I mean, I think we all – it's such a familiar problem for so many of us. I mean, do either of you have an idea of how many people this affects, how many of us are affected by these functional gut disorders? Well, I mean, so yes, um, in terms of, um, I mean, when we talk about functional gut disorders and now functional gut disorders, as Phoebe described, it's actually been reclassified as disorder of gut-brain interactions, right? And so that encompasses a whole range of these uh, sensory motor conditions. So again, as um, um, as Phoebe or Ms. Perinia mentioned, that uh, there's no identifiable organic pathology that our diagnostic testing show. And they can include a whole range of conditions. But if we look at the, the, the range of these disorders of gut-brain interactions, they, they, research looks at up to about, about 40% of the global population has these conditions with, I think, about approximately 10 to 20% being irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. So it's quite prevalent. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that it could be even higher. Um, it's one of those taboo topics that people don't feel necessarily comfortable in sharing with others. And so there's probably... a you know, many more that are probably experiencing these conditions. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Now, the next thing I want to um, ask you about, Jim, is I understand that you have um, just launched a yoga specifically for people with gut problems. Can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? And I don't know whether this is appropriate, but my first visual is a room full of dog down and people, as you just said, in a lift holding in their farts. Yeah. <laughs> down dogs. <laughs> down I mean, dog. Yeah. 
flatulence is normal. Just so <laughs> we have to really say that people can become quite distressed with yeah. with flatulence or farting, but it is normal and it's healthy to actually fart. It means your gut bacteria is doing a good job at digesting, hopefully prebiotic food. So let's just say that everyone farts, it's okay. Um, but look, we are we're really excited to to launch this. Um, this GI yoga program, which is an online program, so people can do it in the comfort of their own homes. So you can fart without worrying about other people hearing you in this setting anyway. So we're really excited because, you know, we've had this idea for years and, um, and you know, we've been thinking about doing it for years and um, we decided to, and we were very lucky to have a very experienced yoga uh, teacher and psychologist join our team. And so together we we basically developed this program and it's, it is based on research. So there is actually research to support the benefits of yoga for gastrointestinal conditions like IBS. So it's really fascinating that this is just another option to treat these conditions, right? I mean, we've got medication, we've got diet, we've got obviously GI psychology we talked about and there, there is actually yoga and it again, it is evidence-based. So it's really exciting. And do you have a theory, Jim, as to how it actually works on that sort of mind-gut connection? Yep. I mean, there's a number, I mean, for people that, um, that you know, uh, might not necessarily be familiar with yoga, um, I mean, yoga is not about the fancy movements or the asanas in terms of doing, you know, head, you know, feet behind head and all this sort of fancy stuff. <laughs> it is about present moments, about mindfulness. Um, you know, there is aspects of meditation involved and there is, a, you know, exercises called pranayama, which is um, breathing exercises and that take, mm-hmm. that plays a big part in yoga. And what we know is that deep breathing exercises such as the pranayamas or deep breathing exercises in general help to reduce autonomic nervous system arousal, so sympathetic nervous system that aggravates the gut. So we're activating the parasympathetic nervous system mm. and therefore we're helping the body to relax. For those at home, the, the, the parasympathetic, yes. we talk about that as our rest and digest neuro- yep. nervous system. So these are the nerves in our system that are turned on when we're in a calm and relaxed state, whereas the other nerves that we're trying to dampen down are your fight or flight response. So they're the ones that work on adrenaline and things like that. When you're stressed, these nerves get stimulated. So it's about balancing those two systems down. Yep, absolutely. And it also, I mean, yoga obviously involves movement and, you know, you know, from a, a yoga perspective, there are certain postures that, um, that are reported to, you know, focus on specific um, symptoms like bloating or or constipation and so forth. So there is movement, there's twisting motions and positions, um, and those have been found to be helpful. Because, I mean, if you look at the digestive system, right, it sits in the gut, but it's surrounded by smooth muscle tissue mm. that, you know, as we move and twist, um, we are actually getting things moving as well. Mm. You know, the, the vascular system is activated and a whole range of other systems. So movement, as you mentioned earlier, with chronic pain is so important and this is no different. Mm. It's a good point, actually, because it's kind of like the movement within those smooth muscles and within your body. So it's not the most obvious physical running, but it's actually... Yeah, and smooth yeah. muscle is really particular. So just like you've got smooth muscle in your vessel walls and things like that, it isn't skeletal muscle. It's not voluntary mm. contraction. So this is muscle that you can stimulate in different ways, but you can't make the connection of, hey, I'm going to squeeze that muscle to make something happen. So you have to stimulate it in slightly different ways. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So I've kind of – no, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say the other component, I mean, in terms of you're asking about the GI yoga program, mm. um, the other thing that what we've done is we've combined it. 
So it's not just people might be going, but I do yoga. And a lot of people that have gastrointestinal disorders like IBS go ahead and do yoga and they might not necessarily experience a whole range of improvements. Some might and hopefully they do. Um, but we are also combining it with, you know, a, a very large educational component and a component that focuses on, you know, some of these strategies and psychological strategies to help them reduce the stress mm -hmm. and help them to manage mm -hmm. the symptoms. There's a very big avoidance that patients, you know, go through when having gastrointestinal disorders, right? They might not go to dinner because what do I eat in case I get symptoms? Mm -hmm. It might be I'm not going to work or I'm not going out to dinner or going out to the country because I might not find a toilet. Mm -hmm. And if you've got diarrhea sort of predominant or diarrhea sort of IBS as, made, as the main symptom, then that's quite threatening. Mm -hmm. So we do help them with a whole range of different strategies. It's not just straight yoga. Gosh, that's so important and that's so excellent to hear of something that's so just bringing in the evidence but in a different way to your very conventional seeing a doctor treat with medication and so mm -hmm. on. And we get a lot of doctors referring yeah. to Jim and also myself through that mm -hmm. particular because the the medicine the medicine side of things is limited with these kinds of conditions. Mm. We know that there's no actual yeah. pathology there that medicine directly is often able to treat and so the evidence is showing that these allied health professions are actually better at addressing these concerns for a more holistic approach and we yep. know that a multidisciplinary team works better for these kinds of conditions so it's really nice to see medicine acknowledging that that's an important yep. part mm -hmm. of treatment for these patients. And we did publish um, at, at St Vincent's a couple of years ago, um, published in The Lancet, um, the, the benefit actually of the multidisciplinary team mm. and it was actually significantly better than just straight gastro gastroenterology. Mm. Yeah. So before we kind of wrap on this, how do people get to – like what, what do people do to come and see people like yourselves or go to GI uh, yoga and, you know, like how, what's the pathway? I mean, usually we get, we get referrals from the doctors, obviously from gastroenterologists and, and GPs and, and so forth. Uh, you don't need a referral to come and see us, for mm -hmm. example. You can mm -hmm. just book online. Um, what's, know, what's, or, when, what, and what is the, how do people book online? Now, what's, what's oh, the website just, address? Or you can, it's uh, www.thegutcenter.com. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got a separate website for the GI Yoga, which is uh, www.giyoga.com.au. Um, or they can just call and, and speak to one of our amazing – and we do have a really amazing admin team. Yeah. Um, they do such a wonderful job of explaining the process and so forth. So it's, it's, it's really actually quite simple. Yeah, but do have a look online if you are interested in that GI yoga because, as we said before, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. And uh -huh. I think there's a lot of people out there who – might be interested in it but have felt that um, hesitation to do go into a public class so it might mm -hmm. be a really nice way for them to get an introduction and we're all very well versed in the world of zoom these days considering we're coming out yep. of the covid era so yeah. um it might be a very nice way to have a have a gentle introduction as to whether or not there's a connection with your mind gut and and whether that might be part of your symptoms that you're experiencing and i think the thing that people forget is that it can be something Something small, you know, to the to your GP, a bit of bloating or a bit of discomfort after meals and things like that might be something that they brush off. But if you're, you know, experiencing this on a daily basis, it can really impact you. And if this is going to help, then it's worth a try. Absolutely. So that website again, just before we wrap up here, is thegutcenter.com or yep. giyoga.com.au. Yeah. So yep. yeah, and so. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we talked about that and some people might be thinking in terms of bloating, I mean, I, we could talk about this for an hour really or longer. Bloating is – how would yoga benefit someone with bloating, for example, or the strategies that we do, right? Because people think that it's gas. It's not necessarily always gas. A lot of the times it's something that we call um, abdominophrenic dysenergia. Um, I know this Big is words. something that's going to be a surprise to a lot of people. <laughs> um, but but the, po the point being is not necessarily gas mm. that's causing that distension or that bloating. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's due to the diaphragm pushing down. So take action, folks. Yeah. Uh, yep. Dr. Jim Kantadakis, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been really, really interesting. And you're right, we could talk for an hour or more. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Phoebe. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Phoebe Kippen is going to do her, her own introduction, but Phoebe is a physiotherapist, as we all know, with a expertise in pelvic floor. Yeah. yeah. So what, lots of people don't realise that pelvic floor physios also treat a range of bowel conditions. Not every pelvic floor physio does, but I have a particular special interest in it. Um, before I was a physio, I also did a science um, degree and I had a real interest in physiology and and so it's linked in a lot of my interest areas um, and and pelvic floor physios treat the bowel because funnily enough the pelvic floor actually holds is, it it holds it all together it is the bowl of the bowel it is indeed yeah. so um, we thought it would be a really good follow-on and I work with Jim um, at, at the gut centre in terms of how we work in those two allied health professions. People don't often think of physiology, uh, the psychology and, and physiotherapy working together, but in these no. kind of conditions they work really well together, Absolutely. which is really interesting. And it's been a real eye-opener for me with um, yourselves and, um, and another physio that, that I've recently got to know that relationship, and it's mm. absolutely fundamental. And we just – I think it's, 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 it's not yet built into practice enough. No. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. So no, that's great. So so Phoebe, hmm. have to get used to using your real name now. <laughs> you know, tell us a little bit more. So how does the pelvic floor? So it holds the bowel, but how does it relate to bowel yeah. function? So the pelvic floor itself, anatomically, it, it is a sling of muscles that sits from your pubic bone all the way through to your coccyx and then out to the sides of your hip. And what it does, it has two different layers, but if you think about it, it basically is the stopgap for um, the orifices that sit in your pelvis. So for females, um, that is your vagina, your urethra and your anus, and for males, that's also your urethra um, and your anal uh, sphincters. And what you're, we're working on with those particular muscles is defecation and, and urine ex, and, and also our sexual function. When we're talking about defecation function, there's we talked about smooth muscle before with Jim. There's two different layers to the, to the sphincters that control your bowel. There's an internal sphincter, which is a smooth muscle component, and then the external sphincter, which is a skeletal muscle component. So the pelvic floor muscles are skeletal, which means that we have voluntary control over them, which means that me as a physiotherapist can actually teach people how to use those muscles and I can train them. It's a bit of an interesting way. It's less uh, obvious as to how you might train a glute or mm. to do a squat and things like that, but there's mm. still muscles that you can find and turn on with voluntary control, which is a really interesting way of thinking about it. There's a whole range of conditions that um, – 
people struggle to have a connection with these particular muscles. Lots of people have never thought about turning them on. No. But there's also a whole bunch of conditions that people actually struggle to turn them off. So these muscles can be hyperactive, like high tone, so they can be um, struggle to release. And particularly when we talk about anxiety and stress or we talk about um, people with a history of trauma mm-hmm. in this area – it's amazing how the brain connects to these muscles in terms of remembering past traumas. And trauma doesn't have to be of a really serious nature. It can be something that people have internalised as being traumatic for them. So, you know, I've seen patients who've had an experience as a seven-year-old where someone walked in on them in the toilet and that was really traumatic for them because they felt like their privacy was invaded Mm. versus people who've had sexual trauma or or domestic violence and things like that. So it's a big spectrum of things like how that relates to the body. Mm. But the brain internalises that and then interrupts that connection and if our stress and anxiety is relating to those areas um, often those muscles don't want to turn off and that can then lead to things like functional constipation and 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 pain with with going to the toilet or um, what we would then call overflow diarrhea so you can set up this cycle where your um Basically, you're holding on for so long that then the body tries to correct itself and so you get this combination of things happening. And it can be really, really um, debilitating for people. Mm-hmm. That is, that is, so that is very interesting. So people who um, are suffering, as you say, from constip- chronic constipation, for example, mm-hmm. with no real understandable diagnosis or yeah. underlying reason for that, there, there, there's a potential whole sleuth of other things contributing Absolutely. that, yeah. Yeah, and often they'll go to their GP and the GP will send them for a gastro to a gastro. Mm. They might do a scope of some sort and go, well, there's nothing clinically wrong. Um, in terms of pathology, I can't see anything, but you're still experiencing all these symptoms. And, you know, chronic constipation can lead to things like hemorrhoids, which can be very uncomfortable for people, um, and, and bloating and, and discomfort and distension through the abdominal cavity. And so people really struggle with these kinds of conditions on a daily basis and lots of people have thought, oh, maybe it's a food intolerance or something else and then you change your whole diet and things like that Mm. to try and compensate. Often you aren't actually addressing the fact that these symptoms often come on during a really stressful period of people's life or when some big trauma has happened. So often there's a, a link between what's going on in your life and what's going on in your body. So it's a really nice thing to um to, to think about in terms of assessing where you are in, in space and time and where you are in your mental health journey and, and how that's affecting your physical health at the same time. And so as a physio, when someone comes to see you, for example, with, um, uh, for example, this, the, these symptoms, what do you do to try and find out what might be, un- like how do you go about yeah, uh, assessing the person and figuring out what the problem might yeah. be. Yeah. So pelvic floor obviously is a muscle that's inside the body, so it can be a bit confronting for people as to mm. how we assess it. We have lots of different options, okay? So we can utilise ultrasound to actually visualise the muscles of the pelvic floor um, in females and males, and that can be done either through the tummy or through the skin of the perineum, hence my on-air name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can see those muscles and we can see those sphincters and how they turn on, and it's really interesting for people. If you can visualise something, it makes it so much easier to do. It's suddenly so, tangible, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing. It's Sometimes when the nerves are disrupted into this area, being able to see it is to be able to connect 
to it and, and find it and learn about how to use it. The other way that we can assess it is with an internal exam. And so that in, in the in the rectum is with a digital exam. So mm-hmm. we're talking a finger inside the rectum, which is, you know, for most people, not the funnest experience. Yeah. Um, and but obviously, not, but at the end of the day, not painful. No, just never invas- painful. Yeah, it's just, inv- it feels. It's invasive. Yeah. But the good thing is that we've now got options that are non-invasive. Mm-hmm. So for particularly for people who have um, a traumatic history, we would never do an internal exam like mm-hmm. that unless you were consenting and, and, and feeling up really to it. Comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of how we then go about um, assessing what we're looking for, we're looking for muscle tone, we're looking for muscle strength, um, we're making sure that there's nothing that would be missed. So things like sensation around that area could indicate an issue with nerves um, and, and it's it's about sort of checks and balances to make sure that nothing's been missed in that diagnostic process, but then also looking at other muscles. So your abdominal wall and how that's functioning, how your diaphragm is functioning in terms of how you actually go to the toilet, how do you sit and defecate, because all of those muscles actually interplay as to how your body functions mm. in this particular way. And it must be, I'm kind of thinking about how long it would take for someone before they actually get referred to see someone like yourself or a mm. physio. And I can imagine that it could be a very, very long lag time. We tend to be the sort of bottom of the food chain yes. insofar as they've tried everything else, mm. nothing's made a difference. And so they end up coming to us. And it's a slower process, like any kind of um, anything that's linked with the brain, change can take some time. And so it's it's also about getting that patient on board with mm. what we're doing. And because I can only give advice mm. and, and train people, but until they're ready to make a change and implement those changes in their life, that's true. it, it doesn't make a huge and, difference. And I can imagine that by the time the, a person comes to you, there might be some element of loss of trust in the uh, healthcare system or I medical profession. I can't tell you how yeah. often I hear people mm. saying, no one believes exactly. me. I, I, no one thinks it's real. I think it's in my head. Exactly. And, I, and we face that all the time because it's not just in your head and it's the explanation of healthcare professionals as to how you explain and communicate that to patients that, yes, there's a link to your brain. That doesn't mean you've made it up. And Exactly. And it's it's so nice. I, got, I can't tell you how many patients I have come in and they burst into tears because for the first time someone said to them, no, I can see you're not making it up. Absolutely. Let's deal with this. And that's exactly what I was thinking. Like in in some ways, the relief that people would receive by having some form of understanding and insight, and okay, we have something to work with, must be incredible. validation. Exactly, it, right. it's amazing how yeah. validating someone's lived experience mm. can make a huge difference to how they experience it. And as you just said, um, you know, not writing off that it's in your mind because mm. people the, the conception is that that's a negative thing. Yeah. But far from it. No, and yeah. I think we need to really understand that the brain is a functional organ. Mm. It creates symptoms around the body. And so not dismissing that as something that is, you know, that you've chosen to make up or things mm. along those lines. This is a presentation of a connection that's there. And those symptoms, even though we as medical professionals haven't gotten that great at detecting them in a, in a sort of like scientific way, we now know clinically that they are there and they are treatable. Mm. And so really understanding that uh, where we are on our journey as medical professionals in, in, in the treatment process is really valuable. Mm. And what, what kind of, um, what's the kind of things you do see in clinic? Yeah. What do people present with? So I see people who've got 
all different types of IBS. So there's lots of different classifications, be it a constipation type, a diarrhea type, a, a mixed dysfunction. I see people who've had um, birthing trauma. They might have an anal sphincter um, issue from birth, from another accident or things like that. I see people who've got um, things like MS where the neural mm-hmm. system is affected and Parkinson's mm-hmm. where that can affect. I also see people post-cancer often with um, there's particular surgeries where they've had a bag replace part of their um, digestive system and then that has been reversed. Often you actually have to retrain people how to go to the toilet um, and 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 on top of that, we see people who've just had lifelong issues with their digestive health, you know, and particularly when there's been a history of things like hemorrhoids that are chronic, pain is a really strong motivator. And so people then lose their natural capacity to go to the toilet without pain and set up all of these adaptive behaviors. And it's part of my job is to actually change that and bring them back to where it's a healthy balance in Mm. terms of what they're doing for their bowel. And is this... Um, get, seeing, seeing physios and getting this, this form of um, treatment, is this part of the public health system or how do people yeah. get to get so, this, access this type of yeah, care? Yeah, so there, there's, there are pelvic floor physios as part of the public health system. There's a fabulous clinic at St V's that Jim and I actually met through that works on functional gut disorders. Um, and there's also access in terms of seeing a pelvic health physio through your GP so people can get um, a consult through their GP and go and see a pelvic floor physio directly. We are primary care providers so you can come and walk off the street and see one of us. You just have to find us. Um, But there are, you know, clinics out there through most of the major healthcare professionals. Um, often we're linked in with what's called a continence clinic. So there's often a bowel health clinic as part of continence. And so people get discouraged in terms of thinking, oh, but I'm not leaking or things aren't going the same way. It doesn't mean we can't help you. Mm. Yeah. Oh, no, that's so, – so, so, so kind of the, the advice to people is perhaps talk to your GP. Yeah, talk to your GP. Um don't discount your symptoms. If you are worried about your bowels and how you think you've been, you know, tried a whole bunch of different avenues and, and nothing's come through for you, if you want to, to have a discussion with a pelvic floor physio, there's a couple of big clinics out there. You can always look on the APA um, website. They have... Um, they have a link on there. If you look up a women's, men's and pelvic health physio, um, you'll be able to see people who practice in, in your state across the country and, and where to find them. Yeah, so so there's a, there's a bit around and a bit of internet yeah. searching and people can find it. Um, sometimes these things can be very confronting for people Absolutely. and it can be a tough gig. If you're feeling particularly... Um, uh, that you need to reach out now and today. Um, don't forget there's also Lifeline, 13, 11, 14 and Beyond Blue. They have a great website, heaps of resources and worth having a look at too. Absolutely. Um, and as well as looking uh, f- you know, looking for your local physio team. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So if, if you're wanting to find a physio, check out the Australian Physiotherapy Association website. Do a search for someone who's local and in that specialty field for you. Um, there's always good information on there. Okay, so um, Phoebe, Phoebe, have you got any last little wraps for us? I think one of the things that I really struggle with a lot of my patients is that the understanding that, you know, these are not conditions that are made up, functional gut or mind-gut connection. We're starting to understand 
better. There's so much more research that needs to go into it. But don't be discounted in terms of your symptoms. If you're experiencing this on a day-to-day basis, you know, Allied Health have a broader range of how we can treat these kinds of um, conditions. And and don't just feel like you need to go down the medical route of if my gastro says there's nothing cl- like physical, physiologically wrong with me, don't discount your lived experience because they make a big difference. You know, Jim and I were talking about how this affects people's day-to-day life and, and, and that's really good. But, um, but you've got to really sort of think about how it affects you on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I mean, that, I think that's such a great take-home message. Don't yeah. just take, just don't take the. Don't live and, with it. You absolutely. know, see if you can get some help for it in a different way. Yeah, we are wrapping. We are at the end of radiotherapy. Well done, panel beater. I mean, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Moto on panel. Well done. Good first show. Uh, panel beater imposter. So <laughs> Dr. Moda is smiling at the end of this hour. And um, Phoebe Kippen, Miss Perineum, and Cyber Sue. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine, and well being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.